who are pouring ourselves into our children every hour of every day. We are grandmothers who are also playing the role of primary caretaker. We are moms who are waiting to have children and trying our best to see the struggle through the eyes of God. We are moms who are learning the challenges of a blended family. We are moms in the workplace who are trying our best to balance competing expectations and demands. We are moms with adult children who are leaving our homes to pursue their own dreams. For packing lunches late at night. For cleaning out their backpacks, then filling them again. For offering gentle guidance to your own grown children. For becoming taxi drivers and appointment schedulers. For making sure the right baby doll is in their arms before they go to sleep. For helping them pay back their student loans. For cleaning and sterilizing and cooking. For doing their laundry and his laundry and our laundry. For praying and loving and forgiving and falling down and rising to your feet again. For the mom who is overworked and exhausted. For the mom who seems to spend a million hours on a million little things. For the mom who pours Jesus into her family as best she can. And God himself not only celebrates what you do, but rejoices over the uniqueness of who you are. You are seen, and you are loved without numbers. Welcome to Mother's Day. Hey Amen. Let's give it up for all the mothers in the house this morning. Come on, guys. Y'all know you can do better than that. Let's give it up for all the mothers in the house. All right. Happy Mother's Day to all of you. It is so good to be here and to celebrate the role that mothers play in our society. You know, I've been thinking all week about uh, Mother's Day and this day uh, coming up and, and just thinking about uh, the way God made women to be so strong and to persevere through difficult times and how they have been a rock in so many families and how they've stood the test of time and how thankful I am for the role that women have played in our society. And I'm glad that we have a God that even in a world where women weren't as honored as they are today, in a world where women weren't named like they aren't today, are today, or women weren't respected even in the way that they are today, that in a biblical world that God still honors women by calling them by name and the scripture and using them as an integral part of his plan. God shows us all throughout the Bible that he not only loves women, we know that because he loves his creation, um, but he has created women to play an important role in his plan. And mothers, you do that. You are being used by God in every day that you parent and parent well. That is a ministry that God has given you, and we do honor you and thank you for your time, for your diligence, for your service, for your love, and for all the things you do, not thinking about yourself, but thinking about your kids and the ones you love. So thank you, mothers, on this Mother's Day. We celebrate you. Um, man, we can't say that enough. We celebrate you, mothers. 
All right, well, welcome to Tri-Cities Church. Uh, glad to see y'all all here. Uh, we are continuing our, ser- our series. We started a series uh, several weeks ago called Too Small to Ignore, uh, where we were looking at the role of uh, God using uh, kids through in the Bible to play an integral part in his mission and to do powerful things. And what we've seen is, and I wasn't really planning out this way, I think God knew that Mother's Day was coming. It's on the calendar every year, but when I start planning out my sermons, I don't always look and see all the different holidays and days that are on the calendar, um, but when we decided to do this series honoring kids, and when we picked out those scriptures, we didn't realize that it was going to fall right in the middle of Mother's Day, and in all of these stories, here's the powerful thing, in all of these stories that we've seen in this series, Too Small to Ignore, women have played a powerful role in the lives of these kids, and so we look at these kids, and we sometimes uh, smile at what they did and what God did through them, and we honor them because of what they've done, but what we see is that there's a mother behind the scenes playing an integral role in raising these children and providing positive examples for children and leading them and guiding them in the way of the Lord. In fact, in the first week of this series, we saw Jedediah, or Jedediah, uh, um, Josiah's mother, uh, the role that she played in the life of eight-year-old Josiah when he became king. She undid the ungodly legacy of his past. His father was ungodly and didn't live for the Lord, and uh, she lived for the Lord and provided a positive example for him, and his life was turned around. He served the Lord, and he started a revival in Judah. And then last week, we saw it with the story of Moses and Moses' mother, Jochebed, and how she faithfully handed Moses over to the Lord. She laid him down on the banks of the Nile with this cry, God, into your hands, I commit this child. And she trusted God when she was in a difficult situation at the end of what she was able to do. And God did powerful things. We know the story. God did powerful things through the life of Moses. And we celebrate that because God uses women all throughout history to do powerful things. In fact, these children that we look at and say, look at what God did through them. We can actually look at them and say, look at what God did through their mother's through them, because our God is using women in our world to raise up kids and to send them out to do his mission. Now, this morning, we're looking at another story of a mother who, um, who made a difficult decision, uh, but it transformed a nation. And so we're celebrating that this morning, uh, and we're looking at how God's calling us to play a role in the lives of children not knowing the difference that it will make, but knowing that our God is able to do powerful things when we choose to honor him. So we're in 1 Samuel, uh, and we're in chapter 1 right there at the very beginning this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll share in the word of the Lord. God, we do give you thanks this morning that we get this opportunity to gather here in this place and to celebrate mothers and the role they play in our world. God, we come to this day with all kinds of emotions. We come to this day with thankfulness that it's through a mother that we came into this world. God, we come to this day motivated to be better parents and to love our kids to the best of our ability. God, we come to this day sometimes with pain and sometimes with hurting because of either brokenness that is a part of life in this world or situations that are beyond our control. 
But we come into this day and we find ourselves in the right place, in the right space, which is before you, the God who knows all, the God who's all-powerful, the God who's able to heal all wounds, the God who promises us a better future. So we come into this day celebrating mothers and being motivated as people, your people, to serve whatever role in your work that you've called us to. So as we open the scriptures, as we look into this story, God, I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word and to understand what it's calling us to. In your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So when we get to the beginning of uh, 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel, it becomes clear from the very beginning that this is a world that is foreign to our own. This world is not like our world. In fact, if you look there in verse 1, just let me read these first two verses of 1 Samuel chapter 1. It says, There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zephite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tofu. <laughs> Tofu, sorry, I've been thinking about going vegetarian again. I was looking at some tofu yesterday in Whole Foods. Son of Tohu, <laughs> that's no lie. Um, uh, son of Tohu, I'm going to get some tofu today. Son of Tohu, son of Zuff, an Ephraimite, had two, uh, he had two wives, one called Hannah, the other Paniah. Paniah had children, Hannah had none. We see these names and we hear these places and these names are quite foreign to us. We don't know anybody named Zuff or Tohu, Tohu or however you want to pronounce it. We don't know anybody named Tofu. We don't know anybody named Paniah, but we do know uh, Hannah. That's the only thing that seems somewhat familiar to us. And in fact, when I got to the beginning of this scripture, I'm like, man, this is a world that's totally foreign to our own. And in fact, there's some things that we have to be thankful for this Mother's Day and that's that sister wives are no longer a thing because we see uh, that in this passage, Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina, and one was able to have children and one was not able to have children. Now, the way this story plays out in this book, and if you read it, you begin to see it, it's that Penina, Penina, <laughs> you see, this is a foreign world, um, Penina, that she didn't, she was not able to have kids, um, or she had kids, but Hannah was not able to have children. And, um, and here's the problem. This is at least one of the problems I can see. I can, I can see multiple problems. But this is at least one of the problems with having two wives. Is that those two wives, <laughs> there's a lot of them. Uh, we can go through the list. Those two wives did not get along, right? In fact, uh, Penina was taunting Hannah every single day. I just imagine her, like, uh, just kind of making these sly comments. You know how it is. She was like, oh, Hannah, can you help me with, uh, never mind, I'll get my kids to help me with that. Or, oh, oh, Hannah, who's going to take care of you when Elkanah gets old? Oh, my kids are going to take care of me. And, you know, she's throwing out these comments. The Bible says that she used that, the fact that she had kids and Hannah didn't have kids. She used it to poke fun at Hannah. In fact, she's living under this roof, these two women, and Hannah cannot escape this, and she's making her life miserable. And so here we have this story, and we get into this story of Hannah, and, 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 and uh, Elkanah, he, he, 
he loved both of the women. And, and in fact, in the biblical world, in our world, it's a little bit different, but in the biblical world, it's significant that he loved Hannah just as much as Penina because in that world, sometimes women's worth was determined based upon the number of kids they had. In fact, it was based upon their ability to have male children even in the biblical world because male children were able to carry on the legacy and the inheritance was passed down through the male and women often depended upon the men in their lives because they weren't often able to work outside of the home. So for Hannah, having male children was a necessity. I mean, she needed to have some male children. It's almost like life insurance, right? If something were to go terribly wrong, she needed a male, a son, who was able to go out and work and was able to provide for his mother and was able to receive the inheritance from his father. If if he passed away. And so for Penina, she's going, hey, if Elkanah passes away, all the inheritance goes to my boys. Hannah, what what are you going to do? And here we have this story where she's picking on Hannah and making her life miserable. Now, Elkanah loves Hannah, and he does the best that he can do. In fact, when we look into this passage, and uh, if we drop down just a few verses there in verse 8, listen to what it says. This is Elkanah. This is, um, let, well, let's just read it. It says, her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? That's bro logic at its finest, right? That is something that a guy would say. I mean, I just imagine Elkanah going, he's just there and he's standing and he's like, all of this, Hannah. You get all of this. Don't, don't, don't I mean more to you than 10? I mean, come on, I know you want kids, but you got me is what he's doing there. And he's constantly trying to comfort her. And I, I give the man the benefit of the doubt. He was really trying to comfort her. He was really trying to do the right thing. And sometimes men... I, 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 I'm not going to speak for all men this morning, but I'll speak for myself. Sometimes I say some dumb things. And this is one of those for Elkanah. Now, our prayers that my dumb things won't ever be recorded in Scripture and won't be remembered thousands of years down the road. I'm just sorry for him that his were recorded. But we all do that sometimes. So he's saying, don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And it did not help his case. And it did not comfort his wife. In fact, the Bible says that she spent days upon days praying that God would give her children. And remember, in a biblical world, this was, this was necessary. This was important. Your worth, your value was determined by that. Your future rested upon your ability to have kids that were going to take care of you when you get old. There was no Christian city. There was no uh, uh, assisted living. There was no one but your family and primarily your kids that would move you in and take care of mom. And so in this biblical world, Hannah felt the need to have children. And she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed. And in fact, if you look down in verse 10, listen to what it says. It says, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. She made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you only look on me, on your servant's misery, and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor will ever be on his head. So she makes this promise to the Lord that if she's able to have kids, then she's going to give the kids back to the Lord. 
In fact, she prayed so fervently this prayer, and she found herself in the tabernacle praying this prayer over and over again, so much so. And it's really a crazy story. I just imagine this lady just being very charismatic and arms flinging and mouth moving, although she's praying to God in her heart. And Eli, the the, uh, priest in the tabernacle, he thought that she was drunk. So he comes in the temple, he sees this lady, and her arms are going, and she's praying to the Lord, and she's praying that God will give her kids. And she's looking up to heaven, and he's looking at her, and he hears no words coming out of his mouth, her mouth, and he's wondering what in the world is happening here. And here we have Hannah, and she's pouring out her, she's pouring out her prayer, her need, her desire to the Lord. If you look in verse 12, it says, she kept on praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart. Her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine, woman. We can put that there. I'm sure that's the way it happened. Uh, Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. And so here we have this crazy story of this man with two wives, one able to have kids, one not, one taunting the other, and them living in misery, and she needs escape from that. And she's pouring out her soul to the Lord. And what I love about this passage is that we see that Hannah began to pray God's purpose for her life. In fact, Hannah's prayers were shaped by God's purpose and not her own. Now, if you imagine this story, and if you would just imagine with me, I would imagine that her prayers probably started off as very self-centered prayer driven by her maternal instinct. And in fact, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's the way we know to pray. Our prayers are always a little bit self-centered, and they're driven by whatever instinct and desire that we have as we've been shaped in this world. And so for her, she had this self-centered prayer, God, I need a boy I need a child. God, please bless me with a child. And so these prayers were focused on herself and what she needed and what she desired. And in fact, I would say this maternal instinct that she had to have a child and to raise a child was something that God gave her. And so God wasn't looking at her and saying, Hannah, why are you praying like that? But rather, God used prayer in her life the way God chooses to use prayer in our life. And that's a tool that God uses to shape us, right? We talked about this a little bit last week, that prayer isn't about getting the things that we want, right? It's not about running down our list of things that we want or that we think or feel like we need to God so that God will, like, um, <laughs> like, a, like a, a, a genie, provide us the things that we want. That's not the way prayer works. In fact, prayer is not a way to get our will. It's a way that God gets his will through us. It's a tool that God uses to shape us for his purposes in this world. And what we see in Hannah's life is God did just that, that the more she prayed and poured out her soul before the Lord and presented herself before the Lord in prayer, God was using prayer as a tool to shape her. And she began to pray God's purposes for her life. In fact, if you back back just a little bit um, where it says, uh, um, I'll pick up in verse 11. It says, and she made a vow. This is 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And so she started with these self-centered prayers driven by her maternal instinct that was natural and normal, and it's the only way we know how to pray. But somehow 
at some point in the midst of her praying, in her hours and days of praying, God began to shape her heart. And she wasn't saying to God, God, I need a boy because I want to raise him and I want to see him run and I want to see him do well. I want to see him go to college. I want him to get a good degree. I want him to get a good job and I want him to take care of mama. Like she was no longer just saying that. She was saying, God, I, I want a boy so that he can be given to your purposes in this world. And we see this powerful transformation in her prayer life as her prayers morphed into what God wanted for her life and what God wanted to do in and through Hannah. You know, we see Hannah do something and show to us, and this is really a hard passage of Scripture for us to wrestle through, but to show to us that the most important decision that we can make as parents, the most important decision you can make for your children is the decision to give your child back to the Lord. You see, Hannah did the unfathomable. She did this literally, like she literally took her child. If you pick up uh, in this text, um, uh, verse, verse 24, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 24, uh, I'm just going to read it, and then we got some stuff to talk about. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 24, it says, After she had weaned, after he was weaned, she took the boy with her. This is after God blessed her with a son, and she named him Samuel. So God did bless her with a son. After she, her prayers morphed, and uh, she began praying God's purpose for her life, God gives her this child. She names him Samuel, and it says, After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, the priest. And she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as I live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. And so we have this lady who literally begged God for this child. For years she prayed, God bless me with a male child. For months she carried that child. For nine months in her womb expecting God to bless her with this child. For three years she nursed this child and snuggled with this child. That She, she smiled every time she saw this child for three years. And then she goes and gives this child. She does the unimaginable back to the Lord by dropping him off at the tabernacle to be raised for the Lord's purposes. I see your wheels spinning already. Two questions I know you have. One, no, she is not mentally ill, right? We, I know you might be on WebMD going, okay, what mental disorder did she have that wasn't diagnosed in biblical times that now we can correct this story and say something was wrong with this lady because who would do that, right? Who would take this child that they prayed for, that they carried, that they snuggled with, that they got thrown up with, uh, on by, that changed their, that, that's the part, yeah, uh, that, that changed that child's diaper, which one would take that child and give it back to the Lord in that way? The second question, I see the wheels spinning. The second question, no, you cannot do that here. 
right? <laughs> we do not have any kind of depository back there. Um, we do not operate on that system. It does not matter what nerve that kid is getting on. You cannot bring that kid to Tri-Cities Church and drop them off. This is not a model for us, right? The Bible wasn't giving us a model to be followed. This is an example, um, a powerful and dramatic example in Scripture that the most important decision you can make for your child is your decision to give that child back to the Lord. Now, I wanted to explain this or provide a little bit of rationale for this, but I think Hannah does it better than I could. If you look in 1 Samuel chapter 2, she has this prayer. It's kind of poetry. It's like a, a, a psalm, if you will, uh, to God where she begins to write. And she's, in a sense, she's laying out her rationale for doing this. She's saying, okay, I gave this child back to the Lord. My friends are going to think I'm crazy. My husband's going to think I've lost it. They're going to put me in the crazy house. I'm laying out before the Lord my reason for doing this. And look at verse 6 what she says. She says, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. So the Lord is in control of both life and death. He's given and he has the ability to take away is what she's saying. I know that if I don't give this child back to the Lord, because the Lord is totally in control of his life, that he'll never accomplish and become all that God created him to be. So by giving him back to the Lord, I'm giving him every opportunity to fulfill his God-given purpose and potential in this world. So she says, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave. He raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. She's saying, I can do everything within my ability to raise this child in a way to be uh, able to support himself, do well in the world, to get a good job, to get all the degrees, to raise a family, to buy a house, to have cars, but ultimately that rests in the hands of the Lord is what she's saying. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. The Lord raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne in, of honor. For the foundation of the earth, Hannah says, are the Lord's. On them he will set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servant, but the wicked will be silenced in a place of darkness. It's not by strength that one prevails. It's not by me raising a strong male child by one that one prevails. His future isn't carved out by virtue or doing good or physical strength or mental strength. Like his future isn't carved out by that, she says. It's not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. You see, Hannah recognized that the most important decision she could make is to give her child back to the Lord and that Samuel, her boy, was in the best hands while he was in the hands of the Lord. She realized that ultimately her best efforts and the best that she could do would ultimately fall short in, in a dramatic way, not as a model for us today to drop our kids off as the church, but in a dramatic way she hands his child over to the Lord as the Lord had revealed to her that he would be used in this way for God's purpose in this world. 
And what we begin seeing here in this passage is this biblical theme that pops up all over Scripture, this theme of being blessed to be a blessing. That is, anything that God is giving us as a blessing. In fact, whenever anyone gives birth to a child, they see that as a blessing. When God has blessed me, God has blessed us to be a blessing. And that theme pops up all over Scripture, and this applies at least to Hannah sees, and I think we've got to see today that this theme applies to us today. That God has blessed us with children. That we can be a blessing to this world by raising children that serve the Lord's purpose in this world. Because as Hannah would say in this prayer, and as the Bible testifies through all throughout, is that in the end, that's the only thing that matters. It's that our children know and love the Lord. You see, Hannah's story paints a powerful example to us. And that's that it doesn't matter how many things our children have in this world. It doesn't matter what they're able to run after and pursue and gain. It doesn't matter the kind of relationships and marriages they're able to build for themselves. It doesn't matter the number of kids they're able to have and the number of grandkids that one day we might have. None of that matters in the end. In the end, what matters is that our kids know and love the Lord. And so Hannah made a powerful example and decision right then and there. And it was a decision to pursue the will of the Lord for her son Samuel by giving him back to the Lord, that she could bless the Lord with the very blessing that God had given to her. You see, Hannah, she realized something um, that she could only realize through her times of prayer. And that's that Samuel didn't belong to her to begin with that he belonged to the Lord from day one. And at the end of his life, if she raised him in the way, in the will of the Lord, he would belong to the Lord then as well. And he would live out all of his days in the presence of the Lord. You see, Hannah gives us a little bit of perspective on what it means to be a mother, what it means to be a parent. In fact, in Scripture we see, and through Hannah's story, we see that parenting is directional, right? It's not something that we just do. We're always parenting in some direction. We're always leading our kids in some direction. We're always leading them to pursue or to chase after or to see or to love or to desire or to want something because parenting is by nature. It's directional. It's always pointed in some direction. And what Hannah saw was that this boy belonged to the Lord from day one, that he would always belong to the Lord. And the greatest thing she could do is direct his attention to the Lord, to wake up every morning and go, how can I live in a way that this kid comes to know and love the Lord? Because the foundations of the earth belong to him. This child's future belongs to him. She got it. In fact, the Bible does tell him, tell us that she was not just that mother that dropped him off at the tabernacle walked away and never looked back 
She loved her boy. She still wanted her boy. But she knew the power of her boy in the hands of God. In fact, we'll get to it a minute, a little bit later, and I wish we could spend a whole series looking at Samuel's life, but he would become one of the most powerful biblical figures. In fact, he would serve his nation in a very difficult time in their history. He would be this transitional leader that would make a difference and whose name would be remembered. In fact, there's two books of the Bible that are named after this boy. Um, because of what God did in and through his life. And it's all because Hannah realized that he was better in the hands of God than he was in her own, and she gives him back to the Lord. She, she got that parenting is directional, and she understood there's some questions that we ask ourselves, and I think there's some questions that we could ask ourselves today that help us to understand the direction that we're parenting. I think the first question, and I just want you to uh, see these questions. You might want to jot them down. We're not going to spend a lot of time on them, but they're able to help us to see what direction we're parenting. And the first question I want you to see is this, is faith the most important thing for my family? It speaks to our priorities, right? Is my faith the most important thing? Is faith the most important virtue, the most important value in my family? Or does it fit into one of the silos that we put ourselves in, right? Does it fit into, well, finances are important and uh, relationships are important and uh, entertainment and activities are important. And then faith, yeah, it falls in there somewhere. Like, is that the way we are thinking about parenting? And it's not a, man, it's not a way of saying, man, I, I don't want to come off as saying, you parents, you should know better. Because this is just the way we're shaped in this world. And the scriptures are providing us a lens, a correcting lens, so that we can see that in the end, knowing and loving the Lord is the thing that matters. And we can step back and we can ask ourselves questions like this. Is faith the most important thing for me, for my family? Is it my priority? Because here's the thing, your energy will always follow your priority. If faith is a priority for you, you'll put your time and energy into it. Your kids will see that. They'll grow up to know and love the Lord. They'll grow up to serve his purposes. They'll do powerful things for the Lord. But if they see that it's not a priority and your energy is not following your priority, that it's just a silo in your life, a category that you're giving some of your attention or time to, they're not going to grow up to know and serve the Lord. They're going to grow up and say, well, mommy said that was important, or daddy said that was important. But their actions didn't say the same thing. The second question we have to ask ourselves is, am I doing all that I can do to raise children that know and love the Lord? Is my energy following after my priority? If my priority is faith, if that's the most important thing in my life, because in the end, that's the only thing that's going to matter, is my energy following after that? Am I pursuing that with my all? Am I chasing after that? Am I running after that? Because our energy is always going to follow our priority. And the, the third thing um, that we have to ask is, am I trusting God fully with my child's future? Have I placed my child's future fully in the hands of God? Am I saying to God, I know my dreams for this kid. 
I know my hopes for this kid, but God, I'm open to your dreams, and I'm going to lead this child to pursue after your dreams and your will in this world. You see, in this scripture, we see that Samuel was too small to ignore. He wasn't ignored by God. He wasn't ignored by Hannah. He wasn't ignored by Eli, the temple or the priest in the tabernacle, who ended up raising him to love and serve the Lord. He wasn't ignored by scripture. And God used him to do powerful things. I want to read this one excerpt from 1 Samuel chapter 3. And this is Eli while he's still, or Samuel while he's still a boy, and he's living in the tabernacle with Eli, and he's growing up and learning to serve the Lord. And I want you to hear this, this scripture. It says, one night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of the Lord had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me? Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and he laid down. Again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me? My son, Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time, the Lord called to Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. By this point, Eli's going, this boy, like these dreams are getting real. Like I don't know what's happening. Then Eli realized the Lord was calling the boy, so Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. We have this powerful example in Scripture of this lady in this very dramatic way gives her child back to the Lord. And God begins to speak to this little boy. And his future is led in the way and the will of God. And that's my desire and that's my prayer for our children at Tri-Cities Church is that our children will be raised and led in the way and will of the Lord, that our Lord will speak to them and he will call them and he will use them to do incredible and powerful things. My prayer is that our community, our neighborhood, will be transformed by these kids as they listen for the voice of God and God leads them into powerful things that they could never dream up for themselves, that our world will be painted an example of what it looks like to follow the Lord and that our kids will lead the way because we gave them back and we parented in the direction of the Lord for his purposes, for his glory. 
And that is my prayer this morning. Let's pray.